0: Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us, and may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. Cup Sunday. Um, I must confess, uh, Paul, I'm so proud of our uh, Springboks. I I called them by 12, so I wasn't bold enough. Um, And that that was just good to see them whiz past 12 and win by 20. Uh, My my daughter's in London, and so that's the best place to be in the world right now. Um, (laughs) To go to work tomorrow and stick one in the eye of all those poms. eh? Don't you think that's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing, those sulky guys? Shameless, the naked truth. I don't know if you've carried or carry the heavy burden of shame. Um, Years ago, I I used to run. Some of you may have heard this story. Uh, I could run 10 kilometers a day, 20 on the weekend. Uh, uh, Imagine it, the wind blowing through my hair. (laughs) It was really Uh, a beautiful place for me to be. I ran with friends. We talked rubbish. We concocted all kinds of plans, uh, but it was a good time, and uh, uh, my running shoes ran out. I needed to buy another set. I went to Total Sports in La Lucia Mall and uh, agonized over the shoe I wanted to buy. The salesman uh, sold me a very expensive pair. I went home, strapped them on, Went for a run 500 meters in. I felt awful. So, these are the worst shoes I've ever had in my life. I pressed on a little, another 200 meters, no good. Turned around, came home, uh, dusted the shoes off, put them in the box, took them back to Total Sports, and uh, I put them down. I said, I don't want these shoes. I I would like to uh, try another pair. And I was unprepared for the question he would ask me an obvious one Did you run in these shoes? I mean, I just left his store about an hour ago. So uh, uh, I answered, no. (laughs) I'm the pastor of a local church. And I said to the salesman, I didn't run in these shoes. Even when he looked with some degree of uh, uh, questioning, no. I held my line, picked out another pair of shoes, And walked out of the shop, and I felt the burden of shame. It was a walk of shame. I walked about 20 meters, and I could bear it no more. Uh, I imagined uh, this salesman pitching up at a wedding that I was officiating at. I imagined him arriving at a funeral, and there I am. Uh, speaking about God's love and grace and I would simply be feeling shame over a pair of running shoes. So I turned around, did the walk of shame. We were in Dubrovnik a little while ago and there is a walk of shame, a la Game of Thrones. Along that staircase, you can buy a shame burger, a shame pizza. Whatever you eat on that journey is full of shame. And uh, this is what my meal was as I walked back to Total Sports. And I put the shoes down. I said, "Um, we need to reverse this transaction. I did run in those shoes. And he said, I know. (laughs) Shame. Shame. Even while I walked back, though, I was busy hiding and blaming. He said, he sold me the wrong pair. He should have known. Um, It's his fault after all. Um, And uh, I only ran a kilometer. It hardly uh, uh, rubbed off those little dimples on the bottom. Should be no problem. Um, So even as I'm walking back, I'm hiding and I'm blaming. But I wonder if you carry or have carried the heavy burden of shame. This is the story I feel vulnerable enough and safe enough to tell you. There are others that you are not ready for. I don't know if you have carried the heavy burden of shame. Brené Brown, who has done her PhD on shame, I think, defines shame like this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and unworthy of belonging. Uh, we are unworthy of connection. And what I felt when I walked away from total sports over the triviality of a few rand and a running shoe uh, was, was disconnection. I felt out of connection with the salesperson. I felt disconnected with anyone who would find out how I had deceived. And I felt disconnected with my very call to ministry. I felt I needed to go and pen my resignation. You call yourself a pastor. And look, now now that's a a, a hazard of the job. Uh, Often I feel this way. How is it that I am uh, uh, qualified to do what I do? Shame separates, brings disconnection. Interesting is that shame is different from guilt. Guilt is what we feel when we have done something wrong. Guilt says I've made a mistake, guilt says I've lied. Guilt says turn around. Guilt says go back and fix it, confess and make it right. Guilt is a helpful thing, really. Uh, Guilt moves us essentially uh, to a place of turning around and fixing things. Guilt can be helpful, but shame is different. Shame is when we feel, uh, we believe we are something wrong. Shame says I am a mistake. Shame says I have lied and I am a lie. And there is no way of fixing that, and therefore I must hide and I must blame. There is disconnection, and shame is something heavy. I don't know if you are carrying or who have carried the heavy burden of shame. Shame is intrinsically unhelpful and a paralyzing emotion. It really doesn't help. Shame is neither helpful or productive. In fact, shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive and hurtful behavior than a solution or a cure. We simply hide and we simply blame and we are disconnected. Shame. If we drill down to the bottom of every relational breakdown uh, and disconnection between people, husbands and wives, parents and children, then uh, I would suggest we will find shame. Shame is that little voice that tells you Who do you think you are? Shame is that voice that tells you, you're not good enough. Not good enough as a wife. You are not good enough as a husband. You are not good enough as a son. You are not good enough as a daughter, a father, or a mother. You are simply not good enough, and you are not worthy of connection with God and with each other. Shame says, you call yourself a pastor. Disconnect. Now this dark <coughs> kind of accusatory voice is not just psychological mumbo jumbo. We find it's the story of shame in the very first three chapters of Scripture. So I want to go there as we read from Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen. What's the what's the first um, bad thing to happen in the Bible? What is the first thing that is not good it's not when Cain killed his brother Abel it's not when uh, 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 Adam and Eve uh, gave into temptation and disobeyed God choosing their own will over God's that's where God who's made all things and he says it is good uh, says these words in Genesis 2 18 it's not good it's not good for man to be alone we're made for relationship it's not good the first bad thing in the story of God and his people is loneliness and disconnection. It's isolation. So let's read the rest of the story from the message. Um, God spoke. says, it's not good for man to be alone. God spoke, let us make human beings in our own image. Let's make them reflecting our nature. God created human beings. He created them godlike, He created them reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female And God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that that moves on the face of the earth. And then in Genesis 2, there's more detail. The man said, uh, when he beholds the woman, Finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. And therefore, man would leave his father and mother and and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. We see here everything we need. There is connection with God made in his image. There is a deep fellowship, connection with each other, and connection with our divine purpose, connection with God. We look like God. We reflect God's nature. We are God-like, and every single human being on this planet is an image-bearer of God You get to witness day by day uh, the very glory of God walking around near you. In fact, if you turn to the person next to you and you gaze deeply into their beautiful eyes. uh, Now, you might not want to do that, but take a little glance. What you've got to say is awesome. I mean, here is an image bearer of God. Wow. Can you not be amazed? By the human being that is sitting next to you and behind you who shares your home and office space and place of learning. Awesome. Connection with each other. They become one flesh, not one above the other, not side by side, not joined, but they joined at the hip, connected physically, connected emotionally, connected spiritually. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There is partnership and there is no hierarchy. Partnership. I mean, the Springboks' uh, entire theme was stronger together. Uh, A purpose, we're going to win this thing, and we're going to do it together. Stronger together. There was connection. Connection with purpose. Prosper. Reproduce. Fill the earth. Take charge. Be responsible. Uh, here Here is a beautiful picture of how it should be. How it can be. Connection. Connection with God, connection with each other, and connection with purpose. It's a beautiful picture. This is what it looks like. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked and they felt no shame. It was utter vulnerability and no shame. I don't know if you've carried the heavy burden of shame, because when I reflect on On a world in which there is no shame. There is connection and no shame. It's a beautiful thing. But it's so not what we experience. It's so not what is before us. The picture that we are given of relational thriving, where there is partnership between men and women, um, partnership full full stop, stronger, together, uh, is a, a is, is a broken uh, a current experience in our world. It is rather hierarchy, one over the other. When the women of our world and the women of our land live afraid of the men of our land, then it is a broken picture and it is a picture of disconnection. When the children of our beautiful country are not safe, it is a picture of disconnection. What's gone wrong? This shameless uh, intention of God is not our lived experience. What's gone wrong? There is a deep disconnection. We see in our history and in our present of this land of ours where people, uh, entire people groups were told, you not good enough. You're not good enough to vote. You're not good enough to participate. You're not good enough. And there is shame and there is hurt and there is disconnection. People told you are less than because of the way you look. There is disconnection. This causes discomfort for us. But our lived experience is not a shameless Vulnerable, naked shamelessness, if you like. It is rather a world that is filled with shame. As followers of Jesus, and if you are not here saying, I'm one who wishes to follow Jesus, I bet as you reflect on the way he lived and you walk with him through the gospels that you will be drawn to wish to follow this Jesus you may not like the other followers of Jesus Christians but I think you will like Jesus I really think you will because he speaks of partnership and not power speaks of connection in fact it is Jesus who wishes to lead us to a reconnection with God with each other and with our purpose It's so hard for us to face all of this, and we find a clue as to why as we continue to read in Genesis. Immediately, um, the two, Adam and Eve, had chosen their wisdom over God's wisdom. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves, They began to hide from one another. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. They're busy hiding from each other. They're busy now hiding from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. I love these words of God. I've read them so often as a Finger pointing, angry God. But uh, Nadia Boltz Weber writes a book, Shameless, and she reads these words of God like this Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Far from an angry God, but a sad God. God who would wish it differently. Who Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? I told you not to eat. The man said, the woman you gave me as a companion. So now they're hiding. And now he's blaming. He blames God and the woman. God, the woman you gave me, told me to eat from this tree. And yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? He said, The serpent seduced me. And so I ate it. The serpent had no leg to stand on. It's so old that thing. But friends, suddenly, from an open hearted, connected, vulnerable with God and walking and talking with Him, people, now there is shame. Hiding from themselves and each other, hiding from God, afraid and blaming the woman you gave me, and so it goes on. Maybe we know what that feels like, just hiding and blaming. We may even be feeling it now, talking about these difficult things. There was a scam email going around some time ago. You may have received it. But basically it said, when you were watching something inappropriate on your computer, I switched on the camera and I filmed you watching what you were watching. And I have the little movie and I will send it unless you pay me a thousand Bitcoin uh, to all your contacts. I wondered how such... An email, such a scam could work. And then you realize that more than 50% of humanity is watching things on their computers that they would want nobody else to watch them watching. Eh? Shame. And disconnection. Even watching pornography is disconnection From someone else's daughter, someone else's son, the people you relate to, and the people who love you. It's disconnection. It's shame. Maybe um, we live with it. Maybe you're feeling it now. My presence, even though I am so fallible and broken, produces shame in others. What do you do? I'm a pastor. I see the movie, and the people run and hide, and I'm alone, generally. I can pretty much guarantee that whoever you are, uh, are having a struggle with in your relationship, that when we drill down at the bottom of disconnection is the sense of shame. There's blaming, and there's hiding, uh, and there's separation. Whoever you're struggling with is dealing to a measure with shame as you are. Shame that says, who do you think you are? Shame that says, you're not good enough. Shame that makes us hide and blame. So what do we do with shame? What do we do with this heavy burden of shame? And Brene Brown suggests that the antidote to shame is empathy. In a sense, we receive it, and we'll close our service with this. We receive the very empathy of God. God knowing us, seeing us, asking who told you, and inviting us home. But the antidote to shame is empathy, us for others, and them for us. Empathy is different from sympathy. Sympathy is feeling for. Empathy is feeling with. Sympathy is telling someone you care, while empathy is showing it. Matthew 25, which Paul spoke about, is an example of empathy. And we will be engaging in a week of deliberate empathy, if you like, where we feel with rather than simply feel for. Sleep on the floor and feel with. Empathy is walking a mile ...in another one's shoes. Aaron McElroy, you have destroyed that image for me. Because you said... "If ...you walk a mile in someone else's shoes... ...means you're a mile away... ...and they have no shoes. You remember, Aaron. You do. This is not empathy. Because that would be the opposite. You have moved away... ...and you have stolen their (laughs) running shoes... Not so. Uh, there is reason for shame. Empathy, however, says I walk in your shoes, next to you, next to you, and with you. Empathy is asking questions rather than giving advice. Empathy gets down into another person's circumstance and heart. So, if there's broken relationship and there is disconnection, then I would suggest that the heart of that is shame. And the way we deal with shame is we offer each other empathy and we offer ourselves empathy in a sense. Paul writes to the Galatian church and he encourages empathies. He writes like this, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him or her, saving your critical comments for yourself. In a sense, get off your heart. High horse, if someone has fallen into sin and is causing harm to themselves and others, or maybe even you, then will you just forgive them and save your critical comments for yourself? You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. (laughs) It's beautiful advice. Hey? Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so fulfill the very law of Christ. It is the way Christ lived. So would you stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed? Empathy, share the burdens of others. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. These are beautiful words I would suggest. Uh, When we're in disconnection or in relational divide, they are beautiful words for us. To deal with shame in us, the shame in others. And it simply says, stoop down. Jesus offers us a response of empathy and grace for both the one who has sinned and for the one who is oppressed and for the one who is hurt. And perhaps as you think today of uh, a relational disconnect, maybe with a spouse, maybe with, with uh, a child, uh, maybe with a sibling who you would have expe- <coughs> expected love from, but you've got uh, hurt. Maybe it's a person In the context of church, as part of your small group, and they are talking about you and uh, have hurt you. Uh, Maybe uh, it's a child that is defiant, and as much as you reach out, there is brokenness. I would suggest that empathy leads you and them from shame to connection. What happens if you forgive them? What happens if you kept your criticism to yourself? And your spirit of non-judgment. What if you simply forgave? What if you imagined your own need for forgiveness? What if you stepped into their shoes and thought about what they are busy with and what they are feeling? What if you reached out, even stooped down to their level, and when you got down there, you listened for their heartbeat? And you asked. You asked some questions. At our Global Leadership Summit, there was a FBI uh, negotiator who was being interviewed. And uh, imagine he's in a situation of disconnect. There are people who have hostages, for instance, and there is the FBI negotiator, and he's got to find common ground. And his first job, if he's to be successful and save lives, is to form a connection with one who is, who is uh, doing his worst or her worst. He's got to connect. In a way, he's got to stoop down there, and he's got to connect. And one of his suggestions was, don't ask why. Now, why are you doing this? Um, all of us from about the age of two were asked why. And why causes all kinds of anxiety. We don't know why most of the time. As a two-year-old, you bump the glass off the table and your mother says, why did you bump the glass? You have no idea. Why just feels like you're being blamed for something. So from the age of two, we are all conditioned uh, that when someone says why, we defend, we blame, we hide, we explain. But we don't. So he suggests you ask what? Not why. What in you? What's happening in your life that has caused you to behave in this way? What in you? In a sense, it's empathy, is it not? We stoop down, we seek connection, we don't ask why or for an explanation, we simply ask what? What's going on in your heart, your mind? Your life that has led you to behave in this way. And it's far more friendly and it fosters connection. What if you shared their burden as you stoop down by acknowledging that you have felt angry or in despair or filled with jealousy or grief or whatever is going on in your life? You see, empathy restores connection. Empathy simply restores connection. Shame brings that beautiful picture of disconnection, um, of connection into disconnection, and empathy restores it. We find the origins of shame in Scripture. We find the origins of empathy in Jesus. This is Jesus who, as the story unfolds in the Gospels, is fully man, fully god takes on human flesh, born in a dusty, grotty, smelly stable, um, is in exile for the first couple of years of his life, knows what it is to be alien uh, in another town. Uh, Jesus, who, who when he is constantly brought people, who he who the pharisees and the self-righteous are sure he must judge here is a woman she was caught in the act of adultery the man with whom she was caught is nowhere to be seen uh, but she deserves by law to be stoned and jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand and he says to the accusers you who have the first who have no sin would you cast the first stone And slowly but surely the accusers disappear. And the only one who deserved and could cast the stone doesn't. Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Now will you go and be free and live another way? We find in Jesus' empathy. Jesus, who is confronted by the corrupt, crooked, white-collar criminal Zacchaeus, who has robbed his fellow men and women and he's in disconnect with God, his roots and with everything. Jesus has tea at his house. We don't know what the discussion was, but we know the effect of it. Zacchaeus comes out of there and he, he offers to return fourfold what he has stolen. And he's, in re, he's reconnected with his people, with himself, with his God and others. Empathy. I would suggest Jesus sat like the negotiator and said, Zacchaeus, what in you causes you to behave in this way? What insecurity, greed uh, is within you that causes you to behave? And I would suggest the fact that Jesus isn't finger-waving and critical, uh, Zacchaeus is transformed. Empathy produces connection. Jesus who sits on the ground with the hopeless, questioning ordinary workers. Jesus who is around the table with the intellectually informed elites uh, and he sees them. Jesus who listens uh, at the past, uh, at, at the stories of people and sees in them the very image of God. Jesus, empathy. Jesus, the one who steps into the shoes of humanity, yours and mine. And says, who told you? Who told you you were not worthy? Who told you that you were not good enough? Who told you? Who told you? Jesus, so convicted of your worth and mine, takes on all the shame of humanity on the cross. And from that place, whispers forgiveness to those who crucify. Jesus whose body was broken and his blood shed is Jesus stooping down into your and my reality and asking, Who told you that you were not worthy? Who told you? I don't know if you have carried or are carrying the burden of shame that brings around disconnect. I don't know if in your relationships there is shame, yours and theirs, and it is causing a divide. Empathy, God for you, and you for others, and them for you, is what brings reconnection. There is a meal called communion that Jesus set before his friends. Because what we do with shame is we bring it to the cross where there was a body broken and blood shed and forgiveness whispered and the offer of healing. We bring it to the cross. We come with all our brokenness. I come bearing my running shoes and uh, everything else. And I sit at the cross and say, God, would you see me? Would you heal me? Would you liberate me? Would you free me? And he says, Wayne, would you remember this is my body? It's broken for you. Take and eat and remember. The word remember is a beautiful thing. If Jesus' members of his body were broken, torn apart, then remembering is putting it together. Remember, put the members of his body together. In the remembering, we are put together. That which is broken. So I pray that while we share in this communion, and the band are going to join me here in front now, while we share in this meal together, we would declare shamelessness in a way. And we would together pray for the healing of relationships. I bet there's someone that comes to mind that, that potentially you loved and were loved by. But now it is different. There is hiding and blaming. Might be, um, and often is, someone we love deeply, but we don't know our way home. Shame. Empathy is what gets us home. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Would you take, eat, and remember? I offer you my healing. This is my blood, says Jesus, shed for you. I'm stepping into your broken places. Would you allow me to heal that which is broken? And my prayer is for the miraculous, divine power of God stirring in our hearts. That in the very week to come, tangible things will happen in the relationships which are broken. So that we could live shamelessly. While you collect the elements, and I would like you to get the bread and wine and just hold on to it. The band are going to sing... An invitation to come to the altar, which is simply to sit in the presence of God, come to the cross. So you're going to collect your elements, the band are going to sing, and then we will eat together. A meal that will move us from shameless, shameless to connection, from shame to connection.
1: To myself.
0: Says who told you? Who told you that you were not worthy of connection? Who told you? This is my body. It is broken for you. You are worthy. I wish to eat with you. Body of Jesus broken for us. We eat and remember. This meal called communion speaks of connection between us. Jesus said, Who, who told you that you were not worthy? Who, who told you that your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your friend is not worthy? Of connection. You are worthy as they are. This is my blood shed for you. Would you take and drink? Lord, we come to the altar and we've come to the end of ourselves we simply come to the altar so in your miraculous power I pray that you would do a work in us that would bring healing to us that we so healed would have capacity to bring healing to relationships we are in in a new and a fresh way we come to the altar won't you stand as we close our time together so.